This is Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. Shine On is a weekly presentation with guests, ideas, information, and fun designed to improve your life from 100.7 WHUD. Hi, it's Casey, shining on today with your ageless soul. Thomas More says, listen to life, let life take the lead and show you where you're meant to go. I think that attitude of being receptive to what life wants of you, I think that's the very heart of religion. I don't mean the institution, I mean living a religious or spiritual life. The very center of it is to follow the will that is beyond yours. I think that's what religion is all about. Thomas More, a former monk, a former musician, a true expert on religion. His teaching career was cut short and he found his calling in writing brilliantly about spirituality. We'll dive into his new book today. And then you will be wildly entertained, I believe, as a great scientific mind tries to help me understand about the Earth's magnetic poles. Not my first language. This weekend, I am joyfully leading a women's retreat at the Mariendale Center in Ossining. So we'll start with something I'm comfortable with. The delightful psychotherapist Diane Barth. Diane Barth, you may have read her Psychology Today blog. It's a very popular one. And her book is about women's friendships. It's called I Know How You Feel. And her research proves that not all women want to run off to a retreat. Not all women are driven in the same way. There are plenty of women who don't have those kinds of deep connections that we think of as sort of the idealized image of women's friendships. And unfortunately, because we have this image, the the image itself lends itself to shaming women who don't have those kinds of connections. But what I really found in in my talking to close to 200 women all over the world and all over the United States was that that, uh, there are all kinds of ways that we connect, and they're not always that beautiful, emotional, attuned. Uh, connection, it's still that there is some form of, even if it's just sort of waving to your neighbor or taking a casual walk with a friend, that is uh, a way that we, we need to connect. Now, most women can think back to a time in childhood when friendships with other women or young girls was difficult when there were cliques and clubs and things like that. Does that change later in life? Well, it changes. Unfortunately, it doesn't change quite as much as we would hope it would. You know, I spoke to a lot of women who who found themselves outside of cliques. For example, mom cliques where their children, they were starting their children in a new school. The other moms were not very friendly. What I found is that's really different from childhood experiences is that if women sort of hang in there, they often find that the women who seem maybe a little snobby or a little standoffish are often just either not comfortable making connections with new people or don't feel good about themselves. So the nice thing about being an adult is that we don't always have to take these kinds of initial rejections personally. Mm-hmm. We can move forward and actually connect. And I heard wonderful stories, one story of two women who really disliked each other initially and because their kids were friends and they kept getting thrown together they found that they had a huge amount in common and became very good friends over time. The book is I Know How You Feel the Joy and Heartbreak of Friendship in Women's Lives. Can your spouse be your best friend? 
Yes. So I heard from many women, both women who were married to men and women who were married to women, who said that their best friend was their spouse. In some cases, they also said that they had made a conscious effort to connect to other women and then a couple of cases to other men as friends because they felt that they needed a little bit of a support system. But a lot of women did tell me that really their best friend was their spouse. Okay. What is one downmanship? One downsmanship is um, a a term a colleague and I um, coined, although it may have existed in other places, years ago, to talk about what happens when women compete in what we sort of think of as a reverse way. So women are really not comfortable with competition in general. And one of the ways that we seem to be able to allow ourselves to compete is, is to see who's got it worse. So if I say to you, you know, oh my goodness, this has been a terrible day. I burned myself pouring my coffee and I, um, my mother called and complained and my son fell down and scraped his knee. And you could say to me, oh, well, today I fell out the window or <laughs> something worse right. and you win. So um, it, it's a kind of a funny way that we have of, of doing reverse competing that uh, we, you know, women really allow ourselves to do when we don't allow sometimes to, to compete in, in positive ways. Right, right. I've seen it when women say, oh, I love your shoes. Oh, these old things? Oh, my God, right. I got them on sale. They hardly cost me anything. I've worn them for seven years. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah, and they hurt my feet. I they hurt. Them. Celebrate yourself a little. Celebrate. Exactly. So that's what we do when we're not competing. We're trying not to compete. Well, when we, it's our way of telling ourselves that we're not competing, but it is certainly a form of competition. Give us your best advice on how to handle a bossy friend. Set limits. It is really, um, it's funny, it's counterintuitive, uh, we don't like to do it, but you can gracefully and graciously say thank you for the advice, but I really need to do this my way, or I really need to think about it, I'll take what you said and think about it, but I heard you, that's enough, because I think that people who get really bossy sometimes feel like they just don't get heard, and sometimes they feel like they get heard, but you're not doing what they said so that it's not okay. Either way, I think that one of the most important things that that you can do, and this is true with friendships in many different ways, is to set limits and set boundaries firmly, gently, but clearly. I know how you feel, the joy and heartbreak of friendships in women's lives. Diane Barth, the New York psychotherapist, is the author. And if you'd like a copy of the book, email me from the website, kacey.co. If you couldn't make it to the Shine On Weekend Retreat this weekend, plan to join me in August in Graymoor, Garrison, New York. We're doing it again. Details soon as spring gets closer. Now let's take a journey into your ageless soul with Thomas Moore, the best-selling author of Care of the Soul. He's been a monk, a musician, a university professor, and psychotherapist. He lives in New Hampshire now and fills the world with his soulful writing. Why this book now? Well, it's called Ageless Soul. What, I'm, what I wanted to do was write about aging. I'm 77 now, and it seemed to be the time for me to think about it. But I discovered as I was writing that really what I write about applies to anybody, no matter what age you are, because we're all aging, as everyone says. And that's really true, and I take that seriously. How can you help us relate to our ageless soul? Well, there are lots of ways. One, one would be to remember that sometimes when you look in the mirror, you realize that you're getting older, but you may feel like you're the same person you were many years ago. 
it's like there's something that changes that you can see when you look at yourself. And obviously, you know, you look around, you see how your health is and so on. You are getting older, but there's something about you it feels, you know, actually feels like it's the same person that hasn't changed. That's part of what ageless means. And I think there's another deeper, probably, uh, deeper aspect of it, where when you also look at your at yourself and what you're doing, there, there's a way in which you want to step outside of time. You don't want to be affected so much by what is happening day by day. And so people develop a, a spiritual viewpoint on the world and about their own life, and that could also be part of the ageless soul. Tell me about your spiritual view of the world. How has it changed, say, over the years, if it has? Well, I've changed radically over the years. I started out when I was a very young kid uh, wanting to be a Catholic priest, and I lived in a Catholic religious community for about 13 years. I mean, that was pretty dedicated to a very, you know, very particular tradition and way of life. And it was wonderful, and I'm so happy that I had that experience. It's still part of me. But I left it when I was in my mid-20s, and I really left religion altogether. And I went on to study religion professionally, but I really wasn't a member. I'm still not a member of an organization. So since then, I've studied many different uh, world religions, and that has affected me. I pretty much think that it, that that these days it's that it's probably the time for most people not everyone but most people to begin to do their own search for spiritual meaning and to draw on the various traditions and to have their own practices in nature or contemplative practices or their way of life when you say you're not a member of any particular religion how would you talk about your engagement with spirituality Well, mine comes from the fact that I was so intensely involved when I was young, and I've studied it so much. I've studied the spiritual life so much over the years, and I have a Ph.D. in religion, you know, and I really have studied it uh, seriously. So I have that advantage, I guess. I have all that information available to me. And I don't think, I don't feel, as so many people today, I don't feel that belonging to a tradition, a particular church, is going to give me what I need. I need really, I need to draw on so much wisdom that's out there from many different places. So that's really important. And the other thing is, I feel I have to take my own responsibility for it. I sense that for a lot of people, going to church, not not entirely, but to some extent, is a habit that gets rather numbing over time. And I do think that in order to breathe life into your spiritual life, it's good to do some searching on your own. Can you share with us what some of your rituals are, what some of your engagement practices are? Well, the thing is, when I was a monk, uh, I was taught that that many things that we did were, were a form of prayer. For example, working out in the, I remember pruning trees, pruning apple trees. That was felt to be of spiritual practice. Just because it seemed so ordinary didn't mean that it wasn't part of our spiritual life. So work was part of it. And study was a major part of our spiritual practice. Now today what I do, I'm surrounded as I talk to you, I'm surrounded by my big shelves of books. I study all the time, and I write these books, and writing the books to me is my spiritual practice. It's very, very central to what I do, not only because the writing itself and study are important spiritually, but I reach people all over the world, and I am 
I think, uh, from what the feedback I get, helping an awful lot of people sort things out. And we thank you for that. Thomas Moore, the guest, the latest book is Ageless Soul. Have you had any what you would consider extraordinary spiritual experiences that you could share with us? Well, um, extraordinary. Uh, I guess uh, I have had a lot of things come to me in my life that were like graces, like important things. Uh, I've been saved in many ways from, uh, from danger. When I was uh, four years old, I was in a little rowboat with my grandfather and the boat capsized and he drowned keeping me alive. And even now, people in my family who are very good Catholics will tell me that they felt that I was saved in order to do something in my life, you know, to make my contribution. Mm -hmm. I've had other experiences like that where I could have died for one reason or another, but I managed to to squeak through. So to me, those are the biggest ones. Do you feel like you're on, quote unquote, a mission from God, that you're doing God's work? Yes, although, you know, to be honest with you, I don't use the word God lightly. Very, very seldom. I think it's overused, and therefore it gets kind of worn down, you know, and mm-hmm. we lose the mystery. So I wouldn't say I'm doing God's will unless, you know, I can say that. I put a footnote to it, what I mean, but um, and certainly it's true. I don't feel that I am living my own life, and I certainly wouldn't have planned to become a writer and writing about the soul as I do. And that would never have occurred to me until I was probably about 50. And so... Um, All of this, all of this life and work has come to me. I certainly didn't invent it. You said, Thomas Moore, you don't feel like you're living your own life? Yes, I don't feel that I am designing my own life, that I'm making choices that make me who I am. I'm not not shaping it consciously as I go along. I I respond to the signs and to invitations. To, to move along and do different things. I've done that all my life. I've shifted here and there, and, and when I look back, I can see the twists and turns, but I don't think I consciously chose them. I do think that I'm following a greater will, a greater, yeah, a greater will for me. So signs and invitations have come to you, and then yeah. you have to discern which ones you're going to act on to follow okay. this path that's being laid out for you. How do you discern? I just have to use my intelligence and my intuition. So there I was studying to be a Catholic priest, and right before I was to be ordained, it occurred to me that what got me into that was no longer there. I didn't feel that inner presence anymore, that inner um, uh, drive to, to follow that way of life. And I trusted what I felt, and I left. Now, there's no way of knowing for sure. I didn't know for sure if that was the right choice, and it was a difficult one to make. But I made it because of my intuition and my feeling that this was an important message from within. Now, people listening might think, you're not living your own life? How terrible is that? I could do a cartwheel. I would love to say I'm not living my own life. I would love to say I'm living for a greater purpose. Can you speak on that? Can you speak on what it feels like to be living not your own life, but following this path? Another example was I was fired from a teaching position at a university when I really wanted to be a professor, college professor, the rest of my life. And I took that as a sign that I had to move on, that I had to do something different. And immediately I began began practicing psychotherapy. That led to my books, the, the books I've written. So when I look back and see all these different moves that have taken place, like you say you're fired, that sounds like a terrible failure, but actually it turned out to be a very good and positive turn in my life. So I wouldn't have chosen that. 
I would have chosen to stay teaching the rest of my life. But the sign appeared, you have to go on and do something different. It came in the form, sort of a negative form of someone telling me I don't have a job anymore. But I'm a religious person, you know? I, I take those those signs, I take them seriously as as indication that, that it's time for me to move on. Ageless soul, Thomas Moore, the guest. What do you think heaven's going to be like? Well, I don't think about it too much. I think it's very good to imagine heaven and reincarnation and all the various ways we imagine afterlife. Uh, but, you know, for me, the most important thing is to be wide open to whatever happens. I think that's the honest place to be, that you don't, I don't literally have any belief about what happens afterward. I love, I love stories about heaven and, and reincarnation. I love them, and I, I pay very serious attention to them, but I don't take them literally. I, I have to remain in my ignorance of what that's all about. I, I know people listening, maybe they're struggling with finances or uh, relationships or work situations. Help us understand this concept of living wide open. Uh, the, the, uh, well, what, what I'm trying to describe is uh, what I would consider a religious point of view. It's something I've developed through my spiritual studies and practices over the years. And that is that you, you follow, as you were saying before, you follow the will of God. You don't, you don't just, you don't do everything that you want to do or that you need to do. You realize that life gives you pointers and indications along the way. I think that attitude of being receptive to what life wants of you, I think that's the very heart of religion. I don't mean the institution. I mean living a religious or spiritual life. The very center of it is to follow the will that is beyond yours. I think that's what religion is all about. Life gives you indications along the way. Be receptive to what life wants of you. Thomas More. ThomasMoreSoul.com. That's M-O-O-R-E. The Ageless Soul is his book. Next up, The Spinning Magnet. That's our earth and the thick crust of my skull that makes talking to a scientist challenging is on the way. This is Josh Demel, and we have a situation here. Our planet's endangered species are vanishing at an alarming rate. Connect the dots and you'll discover a fine line separates a buyer from a killer. In other words, if you travel abroad and buy an illegal wildlife product, you're paying for the life of an endangered animal. So please, don't do it. When the buying stops, the killing can too. For more information, visit wildaid.org. Hi, it's Casey inviting you to the Open Center in New York City on March 14th. Come to an evening panel discussion and workshop, Vitamin R's Vision Working Series, Visionary Branding. Are you a visionary ready to build a movement with your words? So join us in New York City at the Open Center March 14th. Details at Casey.co. Enter now the very patient Alana Mitchell, a science journalist and brilliant mind who will try to explain to me what her new book, The Spinning Magnet, is all about. Hit it, Alana. Okay. So what we're talking about is that the Earth, our Earth, is its own magnet. And that means that there's, there's a magnetic field that's being created within the core of our planet. So we have a, we have a molten metallic outer core surrounding a hard, solid, you know, core. And within this outer core is, is being created this magnetic field that races right out into space and protects our planet from solar and galactic radiation. That, because it's a magnet, it has two poles, right? It has a north and a south pole. That's why we call them that. And those poles are the ones that sometimes change places. They've done it hundreds of times in the past. This magnetic force that we're talking about is deep inside the Earth yet extends out into the universe? 
extends out into space. It, it interacts with a whole bunch of other magnetic fields that also exist in space. So the sun has its own magnetic field that it generates. Okay, so you say the poles, the north and south of our magnetic field, have flopped or switched in the past when and how? The last time they did it was 780,000 years ago. Okay. And the way and the, and the reason that happens, so the sun has, has a magnetic field as well, and its poles switch every eleven years. It, they're pretty regular, but ours on Earth it, it flips every you know say three hundred thousand years or so. But the last time was seven hundred eighty thousand years ago, and and the reason it happens is incredibly cool. So in this outer metallic molten core that we have within our planet, um, there, there are these kind of factions, these alternative magnetic factions that want to destabilize the two-pole system that we rely on, right? They, they just want to suck energy from it. They want dominance. And when they get strong enough to destabilize the two-pole system that we have, our two poles, in order to reassert dominance, you could say, they, they switch places and snap back into place on others on the opposite sides of the planet, and then they re reestablish this two-pole system that, that we know. Okay. We're talking to Alana Mitchell. The book is The Spinning Magnet. I am getting an education on the elect- electromagnetic force that created the modern world and could destroy it. I want to go back to what you call the outer molten magnetic core. core. Where is that? Okay, so our planet has what we what we see around us is the crust. So that's the outermost. It's the shell of the planet, the out, out, outside shell. Yeah. And then within that, there's something called the mantle. And the, and when you have volcanoes and stuff, that's some of the mantle that's coming up onto the crust. And then within that, there is the core. And the core is made of two parts. There's the outer core, which is which is you could say liquid. Right? It's it's hot, it's liquid, and then there's the inner core, which is solid. Yeah, so there are four parts to the planet. And the, and the, the field, our magnetic field, the reason that we are a magnet on Earth, that the Earth is a magnet, is that this outer molten metallic core is creating, generating a magnetic field that reaches out, stretches out into space, and protects our planet. Okay, the like outer molten, the outer molten metallic <laughs> Core. Core. The outer molten metallic core. How many miles do I have to drill into the earth to find the outer molten metallic core? Thousands of miles. Yeah. Thousands of miles. All right. I I just got to get my place on the planet. So I'm going 6,000 miles into the earth. I'm in the outer molten metallic core. This is where I find my magnetic, my, 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 the, the inner magnet of the earth. Right? Right. Okay. It's generated right there. Yep. It's right there. And it's doing its thing and it's keeping us probably mm-hmm. tilted on our axis the way we're supposed to be, yes? That it's not related to the axis. Oh the axis damn it. Okay. So this yeah. this outer molten metallic <laughs> core got its magnet yep. going on. And what does that magnetic force do for our planet? It protects life. It, it it's a shield, this vast huge, strong shield that protects us from solar and galactic radiation. So it it may not be a prerequisite for life on the planet, but it certainly helps life exist on the planet. This big shield that we have. All right. It's a big shield. It's a magnetic force that shields us. Now, the sun... That's right. The sun has these negative and positive charges, and you say that flips every 12 years or so? The sun, just like us, just like we have this 
this magnetic field that's created within our core. Mm -hmm. The sun also creates its own magnetic field. Mm -hmm. And every 11 years or so, its poles, for the same reasons that ours do, they, 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 it's a very turbulent system, and they, just in order to be what it is, those poles have to flip places about every 11 years. And when that so happens is, on the sun, can we yeah. tell what happened? Do we feel it? Yes. We see it. We can actually see it because the, the sun is not solid like the Earth. The Earth is solid. You can't peer into the into the center of our Earth except through satellite imagery and seismic waves and things like that. But the sun is just this great big huge ball of plasma, and we can see right inside it. We can see when the when the poles are reversing places, and then we tend to have sunspots. We tend to have you know extra solar activity that scientists can track, right. uh, and they can see it from the Earth. Okay, it's, it's incredibly cool. Ooh, all right. So, we are due, back here on Earth, for a magnetic shift, for the poles to swap out, switch sides, do yeah. see do What's going to happen yeah. to us when that happens? Yeah, that's the great question. So, one of the things that scientists are worried about is that when extra, extra solar and galactic radiation will come closer to the surface of the Earth. They're not sure exactly how much will hit the surface because the atmosphere also protects us. But they're, they're concerned about how this extra pulse of solar energy um, and galactic energy will, uh, for one thing, affect the electric grid, all of the electromagnetic structures, the satellites, the timing systems, all the stuff that keeps our modern civilization going is, it, is at risk from the extra radiation. How much time do we have, Alana? <laughs> uh, they don't know. They yeah. don't know. That, this is one of the fascinating things. Now, nobody I talk to, nobody I talk to thinks that this is happening tomorrow or even in your lifetime. You know, this, this is a slow process. They, they can't even say. They cannot say right. that, it's, that it's happening now. They can say they can't rule it out. They can't rule out that we're at the beginning of one of these things because there are, are, there are indications that things are uh, moving, uh, that, that are, they're, things are more turbulent in that outer core than they expected. Things are more turbulent. Than they expected to speak. So let me ask things you this. Things are more turbulent. Because you're, you're the smartest person I've spoken to in 2018 so far. <laughs> let me ask you this. You know, when, when I listen to you talk, I, I realize the Earth is alive. Yes, it is. It is alive. It is. It is. Uh, you know, there is this immense, fascinating thing that's going on all the time. It's totally invisible to us, almost, almost completely invisible, to us. and yet it is one of the things that, that allows life to happen on the planet. Wow. Life as we know it, and it's very, very changeable. It, it's been this long, incredible journey for scientists to figure out how it works. I mean, that's the thing that fascinated me, and a lot of the great findings have happened within my lifetime. So just in the last few decades, some of the major pieces of this puzzle of how the planet works have been, have been discovered. It's fascinating. Yes, the molten metallic core inside the Earth makes the magnetic poles and the magnetic field for Texas, and those poles are going to flip soonish. I'm just getting over the whole Y2K thing. It is fascinating. The spinning magnet. If you'd like a copy of that book, email me from casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Now, our thought for the day comes from Albert Einstein. And Thomas More would probably agree with this, too. Everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that some spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, one that is vastly superior to that of man. Go have a fabulous day on this spinning magnet, and I'll see you next week.
You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, and Ella's Leash production. The content of Shine On, the health and happiness show is intended for general information purposes only. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Join Casey for another edition of Shine On, the health and happiness show, next Sunday morning, right here on 100.7 WHUD.